0: Welcome to Keeping Cup, I'm Ariana, I'm a professional cellist, yoga enthusiast, and I love doing impersonations of my friends. On this podcast, you'll hear candid discussions about what it's like to work in the classical music industry, as well as the ins and outs of maintaining a varied and balanced lifestyle. I'll also bring guests on to talk about their distinctive areas of expertise. I hope these little nuggets will brighten your day, and maybe you'll even learn something. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone, welcome to Keeping Cup with Ariana. I hope everyone is having a lovely day. And if not, that's okay too. For today's episode, I have the honor of talking with Michael Marks, bass player extraordinaire. Hailing from Arizona, Michael studied music at the Colvern School and then at Rice University. Go Owls. He won his first professional orchestra audition when he was just 19. And from then on, made it to the final round of countless auditions. Some would say that he is a beast. Most recently, he won a position with the National Symphony Orchestra in Washington, D.C. Wow, wow. We're going to talk all things auditions, success, rejection, and how to pump yourself up. I'm very excited to pick his brain and learn from the master. Hello, Michael.
1: Hello. Glad
0: to have you here.
1: Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: How are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing just fine, thanks. Uh, How are you?
0: I'm also doing fine. It's a beautiful day in Seattle.
1: Mm, I think it's 108 outside right now in Phoenix, so I'm I'm a little jealous.
0: That is highly unfortunate.
1: Yeah. But
0: a perfect day to be inside talking to me.
1: I think so, (laughs) with lots of air conditioning.
0: (laughs) Yes. I sort of hinted in your intro about the first job that you won was that your first audition?
1: It was. Um, in terms of, uh, obviously I'd taken like youth symphony auditions and chair placement auditions and school auditions and things like that. But in terms of um, an audition which could result in some sort of job income, anything like that, was my, my very first audition.
0: Wow, okay, so that was your first professional audition and you won it. And what, what was that job?
1: Uh, it was for the principal base of the Arizona Opera, uh, and I had took the audition right after my first year of college, uh, with virtually no expectation of of winning or doing well or anything like that. But you uh, know, it was my hometown. Um, my old youth symphony director was the, was the artistic director um, of of the opera, so he kind of encouraged me to take it, and it kind of worked out. I was I found I was less nervous than I had been for other auditions because I didn't really expect to do well in it.
0: That's amazing. So you won principal of the Arizona opera when you were 19 and, but you were also in school at the same time. So how did you juggle that?
1: Right. It was a little challenging at times, but, um, Colburn and my teacher, Peter, Peter Lloyd, um, at Colburn were very willing to let me get that kind of experience and, um, accept the job while still being in school. So usually what would happen was, um, if I needed to run out to Arizona for a, a production would kind of be grouped in like a, I'd be gone for like a whole week and then the following weekend after that, and that would wrap up the entire production.
0: Oh, and for anyone listening that doesn't know, Colburn is in LA. I should have mentioned that before.
1: Right, right. Quick 55 minute flight. Um, And since my parents live in Arizona and like my high school teacher lives here, I could usually just borrow his base and stay with my parents um, while working, which was very nice. I got to spend time with them and still make a little bit of money too.
0: Very nice. Remind me how many years you played there and when did you decide to stop?
1: I played three seasons. Um, I, I don't think I ever was able to play a full season due to my responsibilities at, at Colburn, but I played until I graduated from Colburn and I moved to Houston to go to Rice for a master's degree. Um, at that point, uh, I knew that I had gotten a lot of already out of the opera, in terms of like my own musical maturity and, and learning how things kind of work in an in a, in orchestral job. And I knew that I needed to be in one place to really kind of hone my skills and get ready for these other orchestra auditions. In addition to that, um, Rice also, for those of you who don't know, has a very intense, I would say. It's a very, um, Yeah, intense orchestra program, Um, generally rehearsing all the time, and uh, it's very difficult sometimes to get out of a rotation. Um, So I I knew that would be kind of problematic, and I I just decided that I wanted to focus my time and energies at getting better while I was at Rice for those two years. One reason that worked better while I was in L.A. is Colburn Orchestra has uh, a very specific schedule that kind of accommodates to that, where they, instead of rehearsing like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two and a half hours each day for a month or two months before a concert, what Colburn will do is they'll have a week and a half before a concert, they'll rehearse almost every weekday and then a concert on the weekend. So if there wasn't a conflict with a Colburn orchestra concert, it was much, much easier to get out. Kind of a perfect storm, that let me do both of those things at the same time. So it worked out pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, a lot of schools probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to accommodate you, or wouldn't have been as willing, at least.
1: Right, I, I would have a hard time imagining many other schools doing that. But Colburn, um, again, for those of you that don't know, is a very very small music conservatory, about 120 students uh, total across you know all all the different degree disciplines, and, you know, bachelor's degree, master's degree, different certificates, 120 total. So you really get to know the administrators and your private teacher very well. And it's easier to make your case than for a large school.
0: Yeah. So you got your first job, but you obviously knew that that wasn't necessarily gonna be your end goal in terms of winning an orchestra job. So did you take a lot more auditions during your undergrad?
1: Uh, I did, because you're right. uh, That wasn't my end goal to stay in the Arizona Opera. I mostly would take auditions that fit with my schedule and that were very easy to get to. Um, cause while I did have that income from the Arizona opera, money was still a little, a little tight and auditions as many of you know, are very expensive, particularly when you play the bass. So, you know, I, I would take an audition in Santa Barbara or anything in LA. I took one in San Diego, but mostly kind of confined myself to that region of the country. Um, until i went to grad school and and decided to take auditions that i really thought i had a chance at and that i really wanted to win for the most part instead of just what was convenient
0: right so how many if you don't mind how many auditions have you taken up until this point in your life
1: up until this point uh well actually in preparing for this interview i I made a little tally and i came up with 19, 19 auditions oh
0: wow i was guessing but i was wrong i thought it was less than that
1: yeah started with this this is from a a span of um, six years from 2013 to 2019.
0: wow this is 19 professional orchestra auditions yep in six years yeah that's quite impressive
1: (laughs) thank you (laughs) it doesn't didn't feel that impressive when i was doing it but uh, (laughs) certainly in retrospect Uh, and that definitely ramped up a lot particularly when i moved to houston and started grad school and my focus kind of had shifted from instead of just getting better for the sake of getting better to, okay, let's win a job.
0: Right. Okay. So 19 auditions later, I'm assuming that you've learned, learned some things about yourself and the process from the very first one, which you won to the present day, um, which I want to hear about. When you won your most recent job, but we'll get to that. Um, so, can you talk about some things that you've learned throughout your audition experiences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've kind of always thought that if you're going to spend all that money to go take an audition and all that all that time to prepare for one, um, it's okay if you don't win it, obviously. But you need to come away with something. You need to have some sort of lesson you've learned, or you know, otherwise, you're just going to do the same thing again for the next audition. So. Uh, I took 19 auditions and I suppose after the 18, the first 18, I definitely like walked away with something to apply to the next one. So I think that's a very important part of the audition process. But in terms of things like very specific things that I've learned, learning what I need to feel comfortable is a really important one. So that might mean I need a full day of rest between flying into an audition and Playing the audition, meaning if I fly in Wednesday, I have Thursday off, I play on Friday. Um, that's both for me and for my instrument to kind of get used to the new environment, particularly coming from such a humid place like Houston. So that's, that's one specific example. You might, find out, you might find out what you need your routine to be the morning of the audition. You might need to find out what kind of warm up you need to do. You might learn that you have a tendency to over warm up before you play around. So you learn what it is that you need to perform your best and feel comfortable when the actual audition comes up.
0: And I would imagine that these little things are very different depending on the person, right? So everyone would have their own thing. So it's basically like knowing yourself and your tendencies.
1: Yeah. And for some people that takes 18 or 19 auditions. And for other people, they're just good. They get up on stage and they do their thing. But uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to have it that easy, but they definitely learned something from every audition. Some other takeaways that I, I thought of are, um, you prepare in such a way that you don't feel like you're hiding anything from the committee. There's nothing you're hoping that the committee doesn't ask for. You don't want them to ask for the specific excerpt or a specific way you can do it. So even if you don't ask that, you you show up and you walk on stage in a much more confident way, knowing that doesn't matter what they ask.
0: That's a good one.
1: Yeah, I think so. I
0: need to know that one.
1: <laughs> oh, it took me a really long time <laughs> to realize that was happening. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, there might be some less favorite excerpts, less favorite moments in, in your preparation. But um, ultimately, I think it's important to feel proud of, of what you've prepared. And then the last one is sometimes you just don't win. Sometimes you just don't advance or play the way you want. It may sound like there's no lesson to be learned from that, but that, of course, in itself is a lesson. Um, you don't want to learn that lesson too many times, because then I feel like you're just saying, oh, there's nothing I can do, there's nothing to happen. But sometimes you, it just doesn't work out.
0: Right. And, and you, you got so close so many times. And I'm sure after a while that kind of, I don't know, I would imagine that would be kind of difficult. But you always seemed to stay positive.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a pretty long period of time where I was referred to as a bridesmaid by some of my friends.
0: (laughs) A bridesmaid, never a bride?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I I always was super grateful that I made it to the finals to begin with. I mean, generally that means the committee is interested, but maybe you're not their cup of tea or or there's something specific they wanted that you didn't have or, or, you know, something like that. But I always felt like I was on the right track. Um, And I never felt like I played a perfect audition. So I felt like there was always more that I could do to prepare for the next one. And, you know, I always had a lot to, to be happy about otherwise.
0: Well, those are some really helpful tips. And I think a lot of people can probably apply those things to any aspect of their life that's trying or difficult, like job interviews, you know, big events and things you have to prepare for and yeah, finding like what works for you, I think
1: is a good thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also a lot easier to be optimistic about the future when there are things that you can actively do to help make your case in the future. Um, it's a lot harder when you have like a, a very defeatist attitude of, well, that was my best and they didn't like it. So we'll just try again next time. a lot of uncertainty with that in terms of well if they didn't like it last time what's going to make them like it next time so that kind of progressive mindset literally of me making progress i think helped a lot in those instances
0: well thank you for your words of wisdom they are very helpful all right i'd love to hear about audition number 19 for the national symphony that was probably very exciting and I'd love to hear about what it felt like when you won and if you had if you noticed anything different in your preparation for that one that maybe got you the result that you were going for
1: oh definitely uh in terms of what it felt like to win that job I mean I was just completely astonished first of all um a little bit in disbelief I, I remember walking to Back out into the hall after they called my name. Um, And I got to meet everybody on the panel. It was a pretty big panel, too. And it's kind of like a receiving line at a wedding where you just shake everyone's hand and you say your names. And I just, I must have looked so like starstruck and just like wide eyed and just like shell shocked. um, Most shell shocked, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And most of these people I had never met before and didn't have any kind of relationship with, um, practically all of them, actually. You know, they're members of the National Symphony. Like it was definitely. A little starstruck that I would get to be these people's colleague. So all of that was racing through my head as I like shook the hand and moved to the next one and shook the hand. And so that was that was uh, kind of crazy. I hope I didn't make too much a fool of myself, just like smiling and nodding and everything. But I'm
0: sure, you didn't.
1: A little bit of an out of body experience, I think. Uh, but also, what came a little later was a, a pretty big sense of, of relief that things had kind of worked out after all these auditions and all this time and energy and practice and. You know, I had won an audition for a really incredible job, kind of job where, you know, several years ago I made it not thought I'd be qualified for. So for sure, a very emotional day.
0: In regards to your preparation for that audition, did you do something different in your preparation, notably, or was it just this one happened to work out?
1: No, I think there were, there were several things that I did differently. So I, I wish I could say, do this one thing differently and you'll win a job with the National Symphony. But it wasn't quite that. But I really wanted this job and I decided to really give everything I had for it and really try a bunch of different things that maybe I hadn't fully invested in before. So one of these things that, that I changed definitely actually got from you. It was a, a really great piece of advice. No way. Yeah. Well, you would—you kind of noticed that I get really stressed out, uh, particularly in the spring of t- 2019, there were like four auditions all in a row. Um, and I, I took them and I, I practiced a lot and uh, I was definitely feeling a little burnt out and I didn't really save much time for other things, uh, specifically eating well exercising and things like that. So I took a much more holistic approach to National Symphony, particularly because I had all that time before I'd had the entire summer and the month of September to really feel good about this.
0: And it was really the only, the only audition that was kind of on the horizon. Maybe you had another one that you didn't have to take, but yeah, I feel like that, that makes a big difference when you can really focus just on one at a time and one list because they all
1: have different lists. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I, it brings up another point. I had to make a tough decision. Um, I'd been in the finals for the Utah Symphony um, prior to this, and they were having an audition a week and a half, two weeks before the NSO audition, um, which I had no relationship with the orchestra. I'd never auditioned for them before. So I had to decide whether to take both and maybe sacrifice preparation or decide on one and really go for that one, which is what I ended up doing. But um, at the time, I was very unsure if it was the right decision to drop Utah, considering I had done so well previously.
0: Back to uh, when you said that you got the idea from me. Yes. Can you go back to that holistic approach?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, was, I was inspired by uh, an audition that you took in which you didn't, like, freak out over practicing your three or four hours every day. And, uh, I
0: definitely did not.
1: <laughs> you didn't. And it was, it was really refreshing because you were still exercising and, like, seeing your friends, and, and these things that I would kind of push off to really make sure I could save my energy for, for preparing for the audition. And that certainly resonated with me. And I also knew, okay, it might be a while before I win a job. I can't just keep putting off all these other things just to take auditions.
0: It's, it's like a balance thing,
1: I feel. Yeah, yeah. And you hear people say that that's necessary all the time. But, you know, you say that doesn't really apply to me. I just need to practice more.
0: Right. And obviously, the practicing is, you know, the main part of preparing for an audition, but...
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't practice, but you should, you should make time in your life. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> yeah, I wish. You, you should. That's
0: what I was wishing you would have said,
1: but... If only. But yeah, you need to have some aspect of your life that is more than the audition coming up. It also takes some pressure off when you do take the audition, that you didn't waste the last month or two or whatever long your preparation was, if it doesn't go your way.
0: Right. And, and just like maintaining some semblance of health and I don't know, bettering yourself or just like living the healthiest lifestyle that you can. I think that'll also help, help your practicing in your brain. I would imagine like getting enough sleep and eating.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Both physical and mental health. So yeah, I was also, you know, coming fresh off the summer, I didn't have a whole lot of work leading up to this NSO audition, so I was able to sleep a ton. I got as much sleep as I needed, as much practicing as I wanted, um, and then usually I would have my evenings free, so I think, I think that's really important if you, can, if you can manage some kind of balance in your lifestyle.
0: I'm all about a balanced lifestyle.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: It's in my jingle. <laughs> yeah. Jingle?
1: <laughs> Intro? <laughs> Intro? Trailer? Jingle? Blurb? jingle
0: jingle
1: jingle uh one other thing that i'd like to talk about is um this idea of, of positive self talk
0: oh I'm um, so glad you brought which, that up cuz i was yeah. going to do it for you
1: i got gotcha, you one step ahead of you so glad <laughs> concept of positive self talk is probably pretty familiar to a, a lot of musicians um and i think there are different degrees in which one can practice it i would of course know positive self talk is like very good but I wouldn't make time out of my day to practice it. It was when I thought of it, I would do it or something like that. But before the NSO audition, probably about at least a month before, I would actively practice it. I'd get out of the shower every morning, uh, look in the mirror and say nice things about myself. What would you say? Well, mostly related to bass playing, I'd say you sound awesome. Um, You're so prepared. You're going to be so prepared for this audition. They'd be so lucky to have you. Just you're going to play at the top of your ability for sure. You know, and sometimes it would get out of the shower and i look in the mirror and be like, you look really good. You are very handsome. <laughs> you know, just things like that, it's kind of goofy. Uh, and I think the point is to kind of be able to laugh about it, especially, you know, at first, it might feel kind of awkward to so see, you might laugh a little bit, but it, I think it became a really important part of my preparation. And, you know, fast forward to the actual audition, um, I played four rounds, because there was a final and a super final in DC. And particularly when the stakes got high in the last two or three rounds, I would have a mirror in my dressing room, my warm-up room. uh, And I would do the same thing I would do every morning, talk positively about myself out loud. And I think that really helps in a couple of ways. Um, Specifically when you walk on stage, I mean, you've got your own cheerleader, like, you know, on stage with you. Most people can't say that. They don't usually allow other people besides the proctor on stage. So you're literally kind of talking yourself up as you go on stage. Uh, and I think another specific example is when you're playing your round, if you make a mistake, which we all do in probably every round, um, there's something you wish you could take back or something like that. It, it, that positive self-talk and that practice of, of being kind to yourself, it really can stop you from spiraling uh, in terms of the negativity going on in your head. I struggled with that for a long time, particularly once the spiral starts, it's, it's hard to stay focused on what you have to do for the rest of the round.
0: And you could make more mistakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> more often than not, if you yeah. uh, don't know how to keep it in check.
0: I like uh, how you described positive self-talk. I feel like that's something that we all hear a lot, and I think for a while I just didn't really believe it, and I think a lot of people don't really believe in it, because when you do it once, you know, when people say, you know, you have to be your biggest fan and be confident, and if you're telling yourself, yeah, you sound really good, but you don't really believe it, it seems silly, right? And I think that's why it is, like, a practice, you know? It's, you have to practice it like you have to practice the bass or the cello, and the more you do it, the more you probably start to believe yourself. It's kind of like, like faking, fake it till you make it. Kind of like when, when you fake confidence, you become more confident over time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And it's not like, it's not like faking being cocky, you know, you're not walking out thinking you're
1: just. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Better than everyone else and everyone else sucks. Like you're just like feeling, you just want to feel. Like you were great and you were there for yourself.
1: Yeah, it's a great way to get out of your own way. But I like what you said about not being cocky. It was one thing that I made sure, the line I made sure never to cross with my father's self-talk was things that I didn't have control over. For example, you're going to win this audition. I, I would not recommend saying that because it maybe is good for hype, but it puts, I think it puts extra pressure on oneself to fulfill that
0: you can only control yourself and you can't there's so many variables
1: yeah and I think I think as somebody that's taken so many auditions I think the goal the healthy goal of, of playing around is to go out and just play in the way you want to play uh, it's not up for you to win the job you can only do your part and then try and hope that your plan convinces the people that actually get to vote
0: yeah. I always have the tendency to... I don't necessarily put myself down, but I I get really wigged out when I'm at an audition and I I know that certain other people are there. Like, that's a big part of it, too, is, like, trying to kind of stay in your own zone. Yeah, because you can't control who's at the audition, who shows up, which cellist that sat in front of you at school and you think is better than you is also at the audition. Like, you can't control those things, but I, I always... I might feel confident and then I see, oh no, so-and-so's here. They're so good. I can't possibly beat them, you know? But it's not, you just have to remind yourself like it's not about that.
1: Yeah, and particularly in that moment, there's nothing you can do. Their presence there makes no difference to what you should be doing on stage. Uh, and I realize that's a lot easier said than done to ignore that this person is there or these people are there, whatever it may be, but. It, If you can stay in your own lane, put those blinders up. I think you'll be better off because you may know how this person sounds in a practice room. Maybe you don't even know that, but you don't know what they'll sound like under pressure in an audition, playing specific excerpts and it just, it doesn't really matter until it does matter, you know, until the person until the um, personal manager comes out and says who advanced and who doesn't at that point it's out of your hands. So, It's very, I I understand completely. It's very difficult to be immune to that sort of intimidation. I don't really have any tips or tricks for that. You just kind of, it's something that I think gets better as you take more auditions and you get more used to those feelings and those emotions that come up um, as you do this, as you repeat this process, audition after audition, you get more used to understanding what you're feeling.
0: And I think you can apply some elements of just positive self-talk when you're, Encountering any sort of feelings like that, you know, just bring it back to yourself.
1: Absolutely, and yeah. it
0: doesn't help also to put those people down in your head, like, oh, they suck. You know, that that's not helpful and also not nice. We gotta support each other, even though it's a competitive field.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Made a lot of a lot of friends in the in the losers' circle of these auditions, and oh yeah, particularly with with the NSO audition, and the, the super finals. It was me and two close friends that I would have been happy to see one. I mean, it, it would have obviously not been as excited if I didn't win, but you make a lot of friends on the audition circuit and, you know, two other great bass players, great people that I would have been very happy for if it had turned out any other way.
0: And I also think that's a nice, nice thing about bass players in general. They're all, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, it's like a cult.
1: Yeah. It could definitely be a little exclusive sometimes, but we share a lot of, uh, we commiserate a lot with the obstacles of playing the instrument and just <laughs> trying to play in tune. I mean, that'll, that'll bond some people for sure.
0: Yeah. Having to move the instrument around and having to play in tune. I mean, I feel like those things just bond people together.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Dealing with TSA agents that want to inspect your instrument without your knowledge. and Uber drivers that don't say it'll fit, but it, it'll fit, you know, <laughs> bonded by a shared set of struggles I think.
0: Yes. Do you have an audition experience that sticks out to you as particularly frustrating and some takeaways from that experience that helped you?
1: Yeah there are a couple that come to mind. Uh, One I want to talk about is the Houston Symphony Associate Principal Based Audition that happened in the fall of 2018 I believe. Some context for that. They had a section audition while I was in school in which I was the runner-up. Um, So when the associate principal bass player retired, the Houston Symphony offered me uh, a long-term subcontract. So I'd been playing with the Houston Symphony for some time before the actual audition. You probably heard the phrase that the hardest job to win is the one you already have. So coming away from that audition was particularly frustrating and, and saddening because I'd really, I'd really formed a bond with the orchestra and I did, I did well in it. I, I, I made the finals but I, I didn't come away with the job and the screen was still up so nobody knew who I was or anything like that but it was, it was uh, very disappointing to say the least especially because you've been doing the job already for some amount of time. You feel you can feel some need to justify your being there for that many months. Yeah so that was that was particularly disappointing because i been playing with this orchestra and form bonds with, with a lot of the people in there and really enjoyed playing with that section. So um that one definitely comes to mind.
0: Must have been disappointing. But we just keep going. And in that in that realm what would you say to someone who has experienced a lot of rejection? I mean we all we all go through that at some point.
1: Well I would I would point them to my own journey which was felt particularly long um, and has worked out pretty satisfactorily, but also to know that with every rejection is an opportunity to get better to improve yourself and, and your audition and or your performance or whatever it is that you're you're trying to get better at there's always a lesson to be learned I think if you look hard enough so uh, I get frustrated sometimes when I hear people come out of auditions that they, they didn't play well in and they are you know, blaming the process or or things they have no control over when there are things that they do have control over that they can address and, and, and really make substantial improvements. So I think it's easy to be really frustrated with an audition and walk away and just not want to think about it anymore, not want to find out what went wrong or what is different between what you're perceiving you're playing as and what the committee or the judges or, or, whatever. If it's a job interview, it could be your potential employer. What, what they, what is different about it? Cause if you think you should get the job and the committee doesn't think you should get the job, you need to somehow reconcile those. Um, if you want to get a job because ultimately it's not up to you, it's up to those people.
0: Yeah. It's in their hands ultimately.
1: Yeah. So uh, just get better at the things that you can control, the things that you are able to improve yourself. Because you can, there are so many problems with the audition process that that's probably a whole other podcast, but that's not going to change anytime soon. So you need to figure out what you can do to solve those on your end. Uh, Because you can complain about playing at 8 a.m. all you want, but if you can't do it and they ask you to play at 8 a.m., that's a problem.
0: Are there certain bass players in the, the world of bass that particularly inspire you?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of my teacher at Rice, of course, Tim Pitts, who um, obviously is a huge inspiration and uh, a good friend of mine, a mentor who really uh, he like always believed in me and always was getting me ready for the next thing and it was, we talked about staying positive before. And, He's definitely a big part of that. And uh, he's had such an incredible career that I hope to also someday uh, emulate. And that, you know, he's had an incredible orchestra career. He's been teaching at Rice for some time now. And even though he doesn't play in the orchestra anymore, he still gets to play a lot. And, you know, he's 60 years old or so and still sounds like amazing. Like that's what I want. Another person that comes to mind is one of my best friends. Andrew Peterson, who's another bass player that I went to Rice with. And,
0: hey, Andrew.
1: Hey, Andrew. Shout you out to Andrew. You should come on this podcast at some point. <laughs> uh, I remember coming into Rice. He's a year older than me, so he'd already been there for a year when we did our master's degrees. He played in the very first studio class, and I remember thinking, okay, I want to sound like that. He, I mean, he just sounded amazing. He was the most consistently amazing sounding bass player I'd ever heard. You know, I never ended up sounding like him, but I found my own way to play in my own way that I wanted to sound, Um, certainly influenced by Andrew, but it was always inspiring to see his progress, I guess you could say, but also his work ethic. Um, Before this NSO audition, he and I shared an apartment for a summer and uh, he was also preparing for other auditions that were happening. And he just I couldn't think about it this way, but he just put me to shame with the amount of time he was practicing. It was just, he was so dedicated. It was really, really inspiring just to see him just put his nose to the grindstone like that and just do what he felt he needed to do. And I could hear all this amazing bass playing from the other side of the door most of the time, you know, because we were sharing the apartment.
0: That's cool that you can, you know, find inspiration and from your colleague and friend, because as we talked about before, it is a very competitive world, especially when preparing for auditions and playing the same instrument as someone. But yeah, I think we can learn from our friends and frenemies and competition. And also another thing that you said, we should never strive to sound like someone else. I mean, we're never going to sound like someone else. Yeah, We're only going to sound like ourselves and you can be inspired by them and maybe covet their certain technical prowess but ultimately you're gonna be yourself and that's a good thing to remember you can't really morph into another
1: musician yeah and i think it's important to be proud of how you sound also yeah in some way some way shape or form yeah you should be excited about what you're producing
0: Mm -hmm. it's a positive self-talk
1: it is it all kind of Comes together, I guess. Mm -hmm. You come full circle.
0: Well, Michael, do you have any last thoughts about auditions or anything you'd like to get off your chest?
1: One thought, one thing came to mind um, that I don't think I've brought up was the importance of recording oneself. I, of course, would record my lessons while I was in school and, you know, for several auditions outside of school also. And, you know, I'd watch them back sort of. On, on my phone, or you know, just very passively listening. But um, what I did differently for this last audition was, you know, I dedicated, you know, an hour to listening to like a lesson or playing for somebody or just practicing in my room. And I take a piece of paper and a pencil, and I would write down everything that I heard that I, I wanted to address. You know, and as the weeks go on, it gets more and more specific, much more picky. But at the end of this time you spend listening, you now have a list of things to address. Uh, And then what was important for me to do after that was to take the list and put it on my music stand and systematically go through and fix everything on the list. It's like, to my satisfaction.
0: Especially now that we're out of school and we don't have that teacher, like kind of holding us accountable every week to play for. I feel like that particularly helps. Like you kind of have to be your own teacher in a sense and be Evaluating yourself, it's very hard to do that while you're playing and like fix the things, like because you want to be focused on playing, not on fixing necessarily.
1: But yeah, I think you can trust your ears more so when you're hearing it objectively, like as, as a third party, as if you were on the committee. What are your thoughts when you listen back to yourself? Um, and I, I think that's I think that's particularly important.
0: Great feedback. I've learned so much yeah. <laughs> can't wait to tackle my next my next audition
1: i'm excited for you too i should have
0: been taking notes oh but luckily i can listen to this episode <laughs> thank goodness
1: you can and it's and it's raw uncut entirety that's true
0: well thank you so much michael for your wisdom
1: oh it's my pleasure thanks for having me on.
0: i think it'll it'll help a lot of people um before before i let you go where can people find you on social media?
1: Oh, well, since you asked, I have a Facebook and an Instagram. My Instagram handle is Michael Marks the Spot. Feel free to give me an ad or a follow. Uh, Facebook, I'm a little more choosy with how who I let follow. Me, so,
0: <laughs> cool, great, and a website uh, pending.
1: Yeah, no website as of yet, but I do have beautiful business cards made by my beautiful girlfriend that I will mail to you if you express a desire for one. (laughs) Great.
0: Well, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for listening to Keeping Cup. Make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when new episodes are uploaded. Intro music is an original tune by my dad, Roger Nelson, performed by Roger on piano and my mom, Karen, on fiddle. Cover photography is by Natalie Gaynor.